Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another edition of Cannabis Health Radio, where we talk to people about the medical value of cannabis. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Elland. Today we're going to talk to a remarkable woman, 71-year-old Rose Pettit, who in 2015 was told that because of the extensive cancer within her body that uh, she should be taken to hospital, uh, hospice. rather. Uh, Rose, how are you today? I'm not doing very well, thank you. Rose, whereabouts in the world do you live? I live in London, Ontario. London, Ontario. Take us back to April 25th. Uh, how extensive was the cancer in your body? I was told uh, I was diagnosed with uh, type 4 lung cancer. Type 4 lung cancer. Did you also have uh, cancer elsewhere in your body? Cancer of the brain and of the bone. And what did the doctors, what sort of prognosis did they give you? Uh, they didn't say anything to me personally. Uh, my oncologist told my family doctor that she figured I probably had four to six weeks. Four to six weeks to live? Yes. And what did they suggest? They suggested you go to hospice? They suggested I go to hospice, and uh, they put me on uh, a pill called... Um, radiation first? I had radiation. I had five treatments of radiation, and I, had, um, I took a pill called... Um, what is the name? What? Arasa. And I take one of these every night, and um, they will not. The oncologist told me at the very beginning that this would not stop the cancer; it would not cure the cancer; that it would slow it down. So and it's a Rose. It was a form of chemotherapy then, an oral chemotherapy type pill then. Uh, yes. Ah, uh, okay. It's a home pill. Okay. When did you decide uh, that you wanted to try cannabis? After talking to my family, um, my family encouraged me to try the cannabis, cannabis oil, and um, I took it. I take it um, by suppository. I take it rectally. Not very glamorous, mm-hmm. but uh, it works. Yes, and that way you don't get the psych- psychotropic effects, the and you don't get high that way. I don't like the feeling of being high. I have uh, inadvertently taken the pill. Um, <laughs> they should have been uh, taken rectally. I have taken it orally. I don't like it. <laughs> it's very, you become very paranoid. I, I become very paranoid with it. Mm-hmm. It was 400 milligrams that I took orally. Accidentally. Accidentally. And not I, good. <laughs> not good. I made sure that my stove was off, my coffee maker was turned off, my apartment door was locked, but I was still certain that somebody was going to come in and catch me. But I thought, I have a license for doing this. It's okay. But I was still for <laughs> four or five hours. I was still freaking out. Mm. So talk to us about when you first started taking oil. How much did you start out with, and what did that feel like for you? I think it was. 25 milligrams orally, 
and uh, a lot of it I cannot remember. Uh, my ex-husband will refresh my memory, but um, I was going, I felt like giving up from time to time, but it was a cannabis oil that kept me going. I would, uh, uh, they would increase the strength of it, and I would take it to my suppository that way. So that was really good. And that was easier for you because then you're not suffering the effects from the cannabis, That's correct? Right. I, I could not feel the effects of it. Okay. So when did you start noticing that maybe you were feeling a little better? I went up to uh, I went to my son's in Sudbury in October a year ago, and I was really skinny at that time. I had dropped from 138 pounds. I went down to 130. 194 pounds, or pardon me, I went down to 94 pounds, 94 pounds, and uh, when I left, um, I, like, I couldn't, I had lost my appetite, and I could not eat anything, Um, I didn't feel like eating, I didn't feel like, I just wanted to sleep, and um, I went up to my son's, I was there for a week, and I came back, you got off the fentanyl and I got off the fentanyl and the uh, hydromorph. I've been improving daily. Was it difficult to get off those uh, other drugs you were taking, the prescription well, drugs? No, I just, when I went up to my son's, uh, I had a fentanyl patch on me. It was due to, re- to be replaced the following day. And my son asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said, no. Well, I'll work with this one for a couple of days. I finally said, okay, take it off, and I didn't bother with the patch, and I had already discarded the uh, hydromorph, and I was on the cannabis oil only. So when, okay. when, you, uh, when you were on the cannabis oil and you started to feel better, did you advise your doctor of what you were doing? Oh, yes, my doctor knows. He knows. And he, oh, she knows. Oh, she knows. She was agreeable? The oncologist, no, she wasn't agreeable. <laughs> I guess she just wanted you to go home and die. It would seem so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a little bit of an inconvenience. I fooled them all, and she looks at me now, and she says I'm her miracle patient. But she fails to recognize that cannabis was the miracle. She will not say anything about cannabis. No, isn't that interesting? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, Absolutely. How are you today? When when you went back for uh, tests for your brain, uh, lung, and bone cancer, how are you today? I wound up in the hospital in September last year, or just overnight, because I, uh, at that time, I was still pretty sick, and I went to bed, and my doctor had put me on hydromorph, which was very strong for the pain. While I was on, I had the urge to go to the washroom, and I got up to go to the washroom, and I could not go. And I was in agony. My son called uh, an ambulance. I went to the hospital. They did x-rays on me, and uh, I finally, with the medications that they gave me at the hospital, I did finally go to the washroom. But uh, the following morning, they were going to send me home, and... uh, a doctor came in and told us that, um, well, um, we did the x-rays and the cancer that you had in your brain is gone. Excuse me, but I didn't know I had cancer in the brain at that time. 
So, you know, something I didn't know I had was gone. So the, so the cancer in the brain was gone. What about the lungs and the bones? Uh, according to the x-rays and the CAT scans these days, are they're gone. the cancer in the, uh, the lungs is gone. They tell me that I still have cancer of the bone. You still have cancer of the bone. They uh, tell me that, yes. Yeah. Not for long if you keep up with the soil would be my thought. That's right. I just wonder, could I add one thing, uh, Corey? Please do. Sure. This is uh, Jerry Malone? No, this is Malone. I'm uh, Rose's husband. Oh, okay. And uh, you mentioned the hospital thing. I got Rose has forgotten some things, which is... Yeah, please fill us in. But anyhow, when she was in the hospital and for this, uh, it was an overdose of morphine. That's why she was in there. Ah, uh, okay. The doctor did this, the, the brain scan, like she said, and came back and she said the uh, everything looks okay. There's no damage. We the brain, the cancer cells that were there are dead or gone now. She said there's scar tissue. She said that must have been because of the chemotherapy. And I looked at the doctor and I told her, I said she has never had chemotherapy. And the doctor said, well, that's very unusual. And at that point, I knew the only thing Rose had taken was cannabis oil, and it cleared up the brain cell cancer. Interesting. So yeah. Thought, you know. So, uh, Rose, uh, you're going to take cannabis oil, I assume, for the rest of your life. Yes, I will be. And great. And you feel you feel good? I think I would if I didn't. Uh, if I hadn't, I am taking up. Uh, Injection of something once every four weeks that's supposed to remove the excess calcium from my body. They said it could be caused by the ERESA pills that I'm taking. It's great to uh, to know that you're on the road to recovery. You're feeling a lot better, and uh, you didn't have to go to hospice and oh, okay. uh, live out your final days in a hospice. So you're good for at least another 25 years. I figure. <laughs> I plan on being here for that long. Okay, great. Thank you very much for talking to us. I appreciate it. Anything you want to say in conclusion? I have one thing. I'd just like to mention one thing. When Rose, she told you the story, she went to her son's place in Sudbury and uh, got off the cannabis and got off the fentanyl patches. At that point, the pain she was having, the reason for taking these drugs, right. the pain was gone. Right. The pain stopped after she stopped taking the morphine yes. and the fentanyl. Yeah. No, that's amazing. They gave me the uh, fentanyl and the hydromorph for pain, but that's what caused it. Well, it's good to, Good, you're on the road to recovery, Rose, and uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. I'm glad to tell my story. Okay. I hope you can help some. Now we move from the benefits of cannabis for human cancer to its equally remarkable healing power for pets. Our guest in this segment is Charlie Renault, who owns a sheep farm in Ontario, Canada, and she has a fascinating story about cannabis and her cat, who also had cancer. If you have a pet, you'll love this story. Charlie, how did you get involved with cannabis? Um, got involved? Well, Rick Simpson, really. I watched his video run from the cure and then went to his website and read his uh, testimonials and treatment information there and i just started doing more research from there and meeting more people and talking to more people and as we all know it's it's blossomed into quite um quite a bunch of information it has hasn't it and the, the more people i talk to it's it 
started basically with, uh, and Corey, you can test, uh, testify to this, uh, with the Rick Simpson video. Yes. And what people do is they just do their own research. It kind of feeds on itself. And yeah, and snowballs. Snowballs. Is, and that's what uh, happened to you, right, Charlie? Yes, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a patients helping patients movement since the doctors are um, purposefully ignorant, it seems. I've found out, found more information from some key people that are really deep researchers similar to myself. And I've helped other people, giving them advice on, you know, basically my experiences and, and tried to help apply that to theirs as well, as well as continuing to, to tell them to continue doing your own research because new information just keeps on evolving as um, we all use ourselves as guinea pigs and practice and try things that are new and see if it works or not. Now, you've also been using cannabis oil on your cat. Tell us that. Yes, I did. Um, I'd, been, I'd read about Rick's um, uh, miraculous curing of his skin cancer probably three years prior by the time I ended up with the situation where I actually had a chance to test the the information I'd been reading. <laughs> my own uh, house cat of 14 years was diagnosed by my veterinarian with squamous cell carcinoma. And it's an oral cancer um, that is very common in older cats, he explained to me. Always fatal, very aggressive and fast-moving, and there was no other treatment other than immediate euthanasia. Wow. I was devastated because this cat wasn't just any house cat. He was chosen by my youngest daughter, um, and then, you know, she's since grown up and moved away, and he has become my main pet and companion in, in the house. So when I called him the day prior to him actually seeing him and described uh, the what I saw in his mouth, I was told it could only be one of two things, and that was either a tooth abscess or the C word. Um, and I opted immediately to give him a dose of uh, cannabis oil to um, begin his treatment. And we saw the vet that the next morning at 9 a.m. He confirmed the diagnosis. I told him that I was what I was treating him with. He got very quiet. Um, I think, you know, he was fearful of saying anything wrong, but he also was trained. They were trained and taught that this is a toxic thing for animals, Um, simply due to lack of knowledge, right? And from them bringing in people, bringing in animals uh, that had eaten too much of people's stuff by accident and the the parents of the pets being fearful and worried and what to do and such. So he just sort of raised his eyebrows and said, oh, okay, um, well, if you need me, you know, you know where I am and, and let me know how it goes. So um, I'm certain that he expected my next call to him was to call for the needle, you know. And, in fact, I called him again exactly seven days later and said, I want to come in for an appointment because I need you to see my cat. And um, I brought him in, and the tumor that was uh, the size of a toonie, so anybody that's not Canadian doesn't know what a $2 coin looks like. It's bigger than a, than a, a silver dollar, slightly, um, but that's similar size. And um, it was 
spread, not quite that exact circular size. It was more of an oval size because it had been spreading over his throat. And um, when he opened his mouth and looked in his mouth, the tumor was now the size of a dime. Wow, in one week. Exactly seven days. Boy, that's quick. Yeah. Now, I was, um, this cat weighed seven pounds. So very small cat, never been a large cat his entire life. Um, in fact, he started his life being somewhat sickly. He was mostly white, and often white cats are, are can be sickly, they say. Um, I almost lost him to distemper as a kitten because he was, um, the way he was adopted into the house was uh, a pregnant kitten was brought into the house, and she had them in the house, so she hadn't been vaccinated, and, you know, he'd been exposed to whatever outside, and there's nothing you could do once he had it. It was just a life and death. Your immunity's going to build up enough for and snot and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but he didn't really have any health issues ongoing, just that he was relatively small uh, his entire life. When he diagnosed him, at that time, I had been battling what I thought was pink eye because he also had his eye was starting to bulge out. And I thought I he had pink eye, so I had been putting antibiotic drops in his eye for, I don't know, three or four days, thinking it was pink eye I was treating. And when the eye started bulging and then he quit eating those two combination factors and I, and I saw him gagging as if he was going to throw up, but he never did, he was clawing at his throat and, and sort of gagging. So it was, you know, that that made me open his mouth and look in there and see this god-awful, ugly, angry blob at the back of his throat, mm-hmm. uh, bright, angry, red, uh, with uh, some black spots and some white uh, white spots, and I didn't know, you know, what to make of it, so I called my vet. Um, I happen to be, I guess, a little unusual in that I have a really good relationship with my vet that I can actually call and speak directly to him. Um, most people don't have that, but I have um, a farm, 200 sheep, so um, we're on a first-name basis, and so is everyone on their, on his staff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I called and asked, you know, what, it, what he thought it was, and then then brought him in, um, you know, he, he looked at him, we got it reduced to, to the size of a dime, and um, the, the bulging of the eye had stopped after three days into treatment. Now, I started him on a dose of sort of a human-sized dose of a half a rice grain drop of oil for a seven-pound cat. Um, wow. Some people might think I was a little bit crazy to give him that much, but I did it because I loved him, and I wanted to make sure he got his best chance at surviving. And I knew from the stories I'd read and the information I'd gathered that potency and dosing was key mm-hmm. um, to continue to upgrade, to increase the dosage as quickly as you can possibly tolerate it and um, get it killed as quickly as possible sort of thing, too. So clearly it worked <laughs> because after a couple of weeks, it was totally gone. It was actually gone out of his mouth within just under the two-week mark, but I kept dosing him for another few days to the 14-day mark before I quit. And he never got another dose after that, um, although I checked him weekly to make sure it was, in fact, gone. But it was the eye bulging that really, really did it for me to prove to me before I could... Because re- it's very hard to open a cat's mouth, okay? Yeah. They're not cooperative at all. They don't want you doing that even just to look. Never mind do something in there. 
and um, so when his eye bulging went down after only three days on the oil, it was encouraging to me, and I, I it made me believe more that it was working. And that you were on the right track. <clears throat> well, yeah, because the veterinarian told me that, no, you haven't been fighting pink eye at all. That bulging eye, that's the tumor. It's not just spreading across his throat, making him stop eating the way he had done. It also was growing upwards in through his nasal and, and eye cavities, and it was bulging the eye out, too. When three days in, that bulging stopped and his eye was back to normal, I took that as a sign that I was definitely on the right track. Um, I had already doubled his dose by that point. Uh, on day two, I went from half a rice grain once a day to half a rice grain twice a day. And yes, he was, uh, he was a little bit stoned, um, but I was prepared for the worst. I was prepared to deal with a cancer patient, um, just like any human cancer patient, that you would have to literally feed them, bathe them, clean them, you know, clean up messes if necessary, because that's what happens when we all get old or sick and we're in the hospital. Someone else has to clean up for us because we're incapable, because we're, we're just too ill to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So I made our, our downstairs bathroom into his hospital room because he did have a brother, um, we had two cats, and I'm a firm believer in scientific reasoning and, and judgment and authentication, and, and I had to know what was going in and what was coming out. So he got his own litter box, his own feed and water dish, his own bed, his own room, private and separate, so that I knew what was going on with him at all times to know what I was doing was right or wrong or working for him or not. And um, I went into the room and petted him, pretty often because I happen to be self-employed, so I'm capable of, of, you know, going in there every day, several times a day if necessary for my own purposes or his, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was incapable of, of walking around very much for the first uh, four or five days until he acclimatized to the dose. Um, by about that point, he had finally started eating on his own a little bit because I had to force feed him. The veterinarian instructed me to do so that that first day when I called before he even saw him because apparently cats are different than dogs. They are obligate carnivores, so they cannot go without food, not even for 24 hours. If they do, yeah, if they do, their organs, I think it's their kidney, maybe their liver, but I think it's their kidneys, they actually turn on them and release toxins and they can kill them. Isn't that interesting? I never knew that. No, and me neither until that moment in time. So they instructed me to water down his crunchy food because that's all all he'd ever had. I never did the canned food thing. He was eating crunchy food, so he said water it all down and get a a large syringe, which I happen to have because I have a farm anyway. I've got 60cc syringe, which is an oral-type syringe, and um, that way the uh, cat food and water mixed up into mush would pass through the big tip to uh, to feed him you know what he would consume twice a day i would have to feed him and give him his dose and uh, i would take him from his bed every day a couple of times a day and put him in his litter box and he would um do his little business and want to go back to sleep kind of thing he, he did just like you would expect a human on it uh he slept most of the time uh which is fine because that's when you heal the most like I said, after about the fifth day, um, he finally decided that he wanted out of the prison. <laughs> to me, it was a hospital room, but this, to him it was his prison. You know, he was becoming acclimated to the dose by that time, so he wasn't quite as foggy, and he could walk a little better. 
so uh, I, I, of course, spent the first two days or two nights sleepless because I was terrified he'd find a way to fall down or hurt himself. Uh, or, you know, but yeah. He didn't. He didn't. I had to help him up to the couch. He couldn't, you know, quite make that leap to the couch that he would have normally. Um, in fact, he would normally leap up onto the um, the bathroom sink to have a drink. He was uh, one of those types that uh, a water bowl was never good enough. It had to be fresh running water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he drank out of the sink or the toilet. That was his thing. He'd wait till you flushed the toilet or used the sink, and he'd run over and say, okay, me too. Uh, <laughs> what I think I is remarkable that. in this story, uh, Charlie, is the fact that you gave uh, a human-sized dose to a seven-pound cat. I mean, yep. I think that is astounding, which just goes to show people who may be listening, who may be fearful of taking cannabis oil, that uh, a half a grain of rice uh, isn't going to kill you. And I, th- I think it's remarkable. How is your cat today? Um, sadly, I lost him um, at 19 um, this spring. So I lived an extra um, five years. Well, yeah, from four. four I, yes, yeah, four, yeah, four, four more, four to five years. Yeah, yeah. the um, and the only reason I lost him then was due to he had he had bad teeth. So I took him into the vet um, for them to extract the teeth. And the anesthetic damaged his kidney so badly, um, I had to spend the next year taking care of him quite extensively. Uh, Oh, that's a sad ending to a fantastic story. Yes, yes. Have you. Other than that, no problems. Have you ever given um, cannabis oil to any of your farm animals, Charlie? Uh, No, no, I haven't uh, had the need to try it for anything. Mm -hmm. Yet? No, not yet. What uh, was the response, Charlie, to uh, from the vet when you started uh, giving your cat cannabis oil and the cannabis oil was shrinking the tumor? Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I was, the reason, the other, the other reason I called my vet a week later to bring him back in is because I, I basically told him, I said, I'm his owner, um, mommy, you know, whatever you want to call me, so I'm biased. So I, I want it to work really badly, and I know this. I understand this, you know, thoroughly. <laughs> and uh, I said so. And I think I, I think it's shrinking, but I need you, an unbiased person, to check it for me so that I can confirm that it is, in fact, you know, working as mm-hmm. quickly as I, I think it is. When I brought him in, and, and he opened his mouth, and and all his interns were around him as well, and and such. Again, he was he was fairly quiet, other than. It, it, he said it was a miracle. <laughs> miracle. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's that word um, again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, just keep doing what you're doing, because if it's working, then he can't really dispute it. Well, that's awesome that you were able to do that, and you were able to have him for four more years, you know, and mm-hmm. have him healthy. Did you keep him on a maintenance dose? No, I didn't. No. I, uh, I thought about it, um, but... Putting things in a cat's mouth is extremely traumatic. Like, they mm. they just resist so much. So it would have stressed him out more. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was examining him at least once weekly. I would open his mouth and double-check that, yep, it's still gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. starting to come back. Um, and, and he didn't really need it. Right. Um, but I was I was at the ready if, if he if, did. If he and did. If it did yeah. come back, yeah, he was going to go on some form of, of low-dose maintenance, you know, if I, if I had to. But it just would have impacted his daily life or, you know, more negatively. Yeah, I hear you. Did you say that... 
Mm. Did you say that you um, run a page for uh, animals? Did you say? I'm sorry, I didn't catch. Did that. you Did you tell me that you ran a, a page for a Facebook page for animals and uh, cannabis? Yeah, I have another one um, uh, for people and pets. Oh, people and pets, yeah. So when people come to you uh, and they get their animal on cannabis for whatever condition they've got, happen to have or whatever, do they leave them on a maintenance dose? Like, what's the general protocol with an animal? Do you just clear them and then just kind of wait and see what happens? Or you know how it is with humans where we want everybody to be on a uh, maintenance dose? Yeah, I think uh, for the most part, uh, dogs-wise anyway, um, a lot of people do keep them on a maintenance dose because it's it's not stressful to feed a dog anything. Uh, most most of the times, dogs are, are garbage cans, and they're more than willing to sample something you're willing right. to give them. They're pretty eager and easygoing, and they can also eat vegetable matter, whereas cats can't. Mm-hmm. Again, back to that obligate carnivore thing, cats really are exclusive meat eaters. Um, they can't physically digest any vegetable matter at all. There's always a reason why if they're going to eat grass or vegetable matter, it means they feel sick and they want to throw up. Mm-hmm. It's a self-medication thing for them, you know, right. other than their own personal joy of eating, uh, of licking up and smelling some catnip and getting high and having fun. <laughs> I mean, they, they do that. <laughs> um, I don't know that dogs do that, but... Um, yeah, most people keep dogs on a, on a maintenance dose. Um, I think it's a bit more common in dogs than cats, from what I've seen on the pages. Right. right. Charlie, where did this suggestion come from that animals uh, are, it's fatal to give them cannabis oil? Uh, the Veterinary Association, I guess, um, I think it just basically stems from lack of research. Um, lack of clinical studies to give them proven reasons to use it with dosages and, and such, um, as well as people having dogs most commonly come in um, that are stoned um, and out of sorts, and their human people panic mm-hmm. because they just don't know what to do, and they're worried that something bad might happen. In fact, even an animal or a dog that I'm aware of has never really died of any overdose from it. Um, the only thing that's ever offered to them uh, is supportive therapy. You know, hydration um, is the big thing. Uh, we all get dry mouths from it. I'm certain they must as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. Um, Did your, so, when, when you first gave your cat the, its very first dose of cannabis oil, how did it react did it dislike the taste or oh definitely yes it's uh, it very very much didn't didn't like the taste i i got good at getting it into him efficiently and cleanly and quickly because to reduce his stress right mm-hmm. um because i was oral dosing so i had to i had to cuddle him in my arms i'd lay him on my back and uh then i would use one one hand to um put my finger in the back corner of his mouth to get his mouth to temporarily pop open, and he's not going to hold that open for a long period of time for me. So I had to act relatively quickly, so I would have the dose on the tip of my other finger, on the very, very tip of my other finger, 
I would pop his mouth open quickly and reach my finger way down into the back of his throat as far as I could get at the very back of his tongue. And I know that they have a comb on their tongue that cleans their, their fur all the time, so it's backwards. So whatever I would wipe way back there and drag my finger up to the front of his tongue would then be gone and totally cleaned off in one swipe with his, his comb from his tongue. Uh, then I would keep him on his back and rub his throat as you would uh, give an animal a pill. Um, to help him swallow, and um, I would uh, have a small syringe with some water, and I would squirt a little bit of water in the corner of his mouth and, again, rub his throat to help him swallow, to help help sort of rinse it down his throat, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not that water really mixes with it, <laughs> but no. it was just, you know, another way and another reason to sort of keep him on his back a little longer to help gravity do its work to have it go down his throat, because when cats don't like something uh, or they dislike the taste, they drool. A dog, I imagine, would do the same. So I didn't want him to drool it all out of his mouth and flush it out of his mouth. I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure he got the dose. So I, I figured the longer I could keep him on his back happy, uh, comfortable, and, and doing some petting of some sort, uh, the better chances it was to stay and not come back up in any way, be it, you know, if he maybe he would vomit. I didn't know, right? I was just sort of winging it. (laughs) Do you have any suggestions for others who may be listening who have issues with their cat or dog on the administration or the use of cannabis oil for their pet? Yes, stop being afraid of getting them stoned. It's really not a relevant side effect that's going to injure them in any way. It may be somewhat uncomfortable or, or strange to them initially, but they will get used to it. They'll adapt to it because we're all adaptive creatures, and after a number of days, three to five days, they will acclimate, acclimate to the dose and become more alert. You know, they're, they're fairly groggy at first, same as a, a human would be, right? Mm-hmm. But they will acclimate to it and become accustomed to it and, and learn to function under its influence. And hopefully, if you are aggressive enough with your dosing, you can get them cured and over their disease sooner and back to living a normal, healthy life without worrying about them being stoned. People worry, I think, too much about getting their animal stoned. Right. Very well put. Charlie, it was great to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, We appreciate this. No problem. Thank you for um, thinking of me. I'm flattered. Thanks so much, Charlie. There you have it, another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Just a reminder, if you'd like us to continue with these podcasts, please go to our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and make a pledge. The donation can be big or small, a one-time donation or a monthly donation, whatever you like. All donations are gratefully appreciated. Wherever you are in the world, thank you very much for listening, and thank you for supporting us. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio Podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com.
Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.